Hello, and welcome to The Shining Light, where we are shining the light of the gospel and speaking the truth in love, providing strength, and stirring the hearts of our listeners. We are so glad to have you joining us today as you listen to this message from Pastor Tim Cruz. This has been a challenging week in so many different ways. I've spent much time in assessing our preparedness to protect our students in our academy as well as our church family in our services. Our North Carolina legislature voted this week to override a veto by our governor to allow concealed carry in churches that also have church schools. And so that was a victory. And I'm thankful for that. We must do everything that we can to protect our own, our church family, our students, our staff, to do everything to be ready. We don't know what the face of evil will look like that we'll face in time to come. I'm meeting with some representatives this week. I want you to pray for God's wisdom and blessing. We're going to be talking further about security in our schools in particularly our private schools. I've met with several through the years and I would plead with them. I said, we have a Christian school. We have two campuses. We have two preschools. We have a children's home. I said, God has entrusted these precious children to us and we must protect them. So what are our options? We're looking at different things. Certain things we put in place this week set in motion to even uh, be done this week during spring break and then uh, being prepared for when the students return to school. But I think about this and I think about where we're at and what God wants us to be mindful of as we look back to the book of Proverbs today. And I want you to stand with me. If you're able to stand this morning with me and read God's word together, let's stand and read Proverbs chapter 21 and verse 3. We'll read one verse together. Let's read it aloud. Proverbs 21 and verse 3. The word of God declares to do justice and judgment is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. Read it with me again. To do justice and judgment is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. Thank you. You may be seated. An article this week was headlined, With these words, children lost in shooting were feisty, a shining light. The children slain at the Covenant School in Nashville, Tennessee, were Haley Scruggs, described by an aunt as always on the go. Evelyn Dykos, her family's shining light. And William Kenny, who had an unflappable spirit. My heart breaks. for these children and their families, for these staff members, a headmaster, a substitute teacher, and then someone who is working there in the school as well, helping maintain the campus. We are a peace-loving people. All who know God and love God are freedom-loving, peace-loving people. But we are willing to rise up when our peace and safety is threatened. And that we must. The dynamics of what's going on in our world, our society, our country have changed. 
we've now moved from if you don't believe like us, we will cancel you to you will believe like us or we'll destroy you. That's the terms that have been laid out. And we've got to be serious. We don't want to be afraid. We want to be sober-minded. We want to be aware, alert. For those who think they are God cannot stand it when someone reminds them that they are not. And they cannot change the reality of who God made them to be. The Bible says here in Proverbs chapter 21, according to verse 1 and 2, that God turns and tests hearts. The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord as the rivers of water. He turneth it whithersoever he will. Every way of a man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord pondereth. He weighs, he measures the hearts. God is a God of justice. That's his standard. That's his expectation. To do justice, verse 3, in judgment is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. We could do all kinds of other things and yet leave off justice and God says, I'm not pleased. I want you to obey me and do what I have given you to do and I want you to understand that I am a God of justice. I'm a God who expects not only right in your life, but right in your relationships, how you treat others to make proper judgments. We must have a fixed standard of judgment, a book of immutable, unchanging law, and that's the Bible, the Word of God. In Hosea's day, they were broken in judgment because they had left God's book of justice. That's where we're at in our society today. You leave God's book of justice off and then you take matters in your own hand and you come up with all kinds of things that you say are unjust and ways to remedy that when it's always by default when man acts independently of God, he does opposite of what God says and what God expects. Many think today that it's worse to judge evil than to actually do evil. They call everyone the enemy except the actual enemy, him or herself. This shooting in Nashville was pure evil. Yet many are condemning Christians for this despicable act instead of the shooter. We're broken in judgment. The Bible says here, in Proverbs chapter 21, according to verse 4, God sees the wicked in their pride, in their violence, verse 7. Their evil desires in verse 10, their false confidence in verse 12, their sinful sacrifices in verse 27, the hardness of their heart, verse 29, and he will judge them in due time. There are many challenges in this life. And yet God wants us to rise to these challenges. Rise to the occasion. Rise to meet them. And God wants us to see how, according to his word, that we're to rise up and meet these challenges. I want you to write this down here. 
in your listening guide, if you will. Notice with me verse 12. The righteous man wisely considereth the house of the wicked, but God overthroweth the wicked for their wickedness. I want you to underline this and write down the word considering, by considering the house of the wicked, number one. I think it's interesting what God is saying to us. This is what a wise person do, does. They look at people and they see what they, they hear what they say, they see what they do, and then they lay it to heart by considering the house of the wicked, to act circumspectly or intelligently toward, to be careful, to consider all the circumstances and the possible consequences, to get some insight and understanding as to who people are and why they do what they do, and then to see the consequence of that and the long-term effect of that for good or for bad. Now, if it's the house of the wicked, there's nothing but bad coming. It may not be apparent on the front end, but it will be at some point. And God wants us to wisely look and see in this world and be reminded that there is still right and there is still wrong. There is still good and there is still evil. Now, when you leave God's word out, truth is fallen in the street, then you'll call good evil and evil good. You'll get it backwards. You leave off the mind of God, the wisdom of God. Your considerations are flawed. The deliberations of your heart and mind are not given to the right standard and the expectation of the God who made us. And as a result, you lean to your own understanding. I like this, I don't like that. I agree with this, I don't agree with that. You make yourself the standard instead of God and the standard of his word. And so God says here we need to consider the house of the wicked, where they're headed, what they're all about. The Bible also says a wise man sees evil coming and he hides himself. In other words, he takes precaution against the day of evil and those who are bent on evil. He's not naive. He doesn't think that everyone is inherently good. Everyone has a spark or a flame of divinity and it just needs to be understood and it needs to be found and, and fanned. That's what's going on in many of our schools today. See, our founders understood that man was inherently sinful in his heart because that's the standard of God's word. That's what God teaches, right? That's why they put checks and balances to limit man and his power because he, know, he knew that man had tyranny in his heart, a desire to rule over others at their sorrow or their loss for his or her own gain and benefit. That's what we're seeing in our society today. There are people that are power hungry and they will stop at no means, no angle to try to secure that, to silence those who will not get on board. And we're seeing that openly in our face today. And God wants us to stand 
Because the Bible says when the enemy shall come in like a flood, then the Spirit of the Lord will raise up, will lift up a standard against him. It's the standard of truth. This is not right. I will not bow. I will not embrace this. I will not celebrate that which God has condemned in his word and calls sin. I cannot and be true to the God of heaven, the God of the Bible, the God that I know, the God who saved me and the God whom I serve. And so we're going to rise to the challenges of life. We're going to have to really understand they're still right and they're still wrong. God's word gives us what is right and what is wrong. And those who've rejected God and embraced what is wrong, you don't want to cast your lot with them. You don't want to just overly justify or try to understand or excuse what they're doing. Friend, there's no excuse to murder innocent children in cold blood. There's no excuse. There's no excuse. There is no excuse. We're in that day to where we're trying to figure out why people do wrong so we can excuse it or justify it. God help us. We have left the Lord and the judgment and the justice of his word clear off of the path that we've chosen to walk. And God says, if you're going to rise to the challenges of life, if you're going to rise to the occasion and that which would come against what God has established, then what you're going to have to do is you're going to have to wisely consider the house of the wicked, who they are and what makes them tick, and don't excuse it just so you're aware, so you can understand that when they act upon those things, then this is normally their pattern of action. By the way, have you seen what the teaching and the philosophy and the spirit of this age does to young people? It doesn't make them more beautiful and respectful. I mean, it takes away their beauty oftentimes, their very appearance. It mars their bodies. There is nothing but, what does the Bible say about that? The thief cometh but to kill, steal, and destroy, but I've come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. There's not a wholesomeness there. There's not something that is inviting there that says there's someone that's going to glorify God and serve others and make a positive impact upon this world with their lives. No, we're looking at people who've got a chip on their shoulder, who are mad at the world, who have taken no regard for themselves and the beauty that God created them with and to be. And as a result, that is the very society that we've become and are embracing and celebrating. God help us. God help us. You know, I know I'm nothing. Without the Lord, I'm nothing. But he saved me and changed my life, and I want to give him my best. I do it from my heart. I just want to give the Lord my best. I don't think I'm better than anyone else. We're living in a society today, you get further and further away from God, it's all about just chaos, disorder, throwing things away, throwing yourself away, 
throwing yourself together, if any, at all. What a shame. I don't want to get caught up in the spirit of this age, do you? I wisely consider the house of the wicked, those who've rejected God, and not only how they live, but where they're headed. God's going to destroy that house. This world, by the way, is headed for judgment. Those who know Christ are headed for deliverance, and we thank God for that. There's a hope beyond this darkness, this present veil of tears. There is a hope that God has given us a promise in his word, and God wants us to rise to the challenges of life by considering the house of the wicked. Number two, I want you to write this down. Verse 22, we find this next word. A wise man scaleth, underline that, the city of the mighty, and casteth down the strength of the confidence thereof. Now, here's what we're talking about on the defense. God's people have been, uh, or, or on the offense, God's people have been on the defense for far too long. The Bible talks about the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church, right? Uh, you, you don't attack with gates, you defend with gates. So the picture there is not us on defense and hell is attacking us and we're defending our position. No, the picture there is that we're on the offense and the powers of hell are no match for the power of the gospel, for the power of God. Why would we be afraid? Why would we cower? Why would we back up? And why would we lose heart and give up when we could be on the offense? The word scaleth here, write that down, by scaling the city of the mighty, number two. It means to rise up, to arise, to rise up, to ascend, to climb this wall. These walls in these days were always built for defense, for fortification, and they cast it down. They descend upon this and bring it down. Those strongholds, the places where the enemy dwells, they are no match for the truth. And by the way, the enemy, the error, the wickedness of sinful man is dwelling in so many areas of our country today. In our media, in our halls of education, sad to say, sometimes even in our churches. Let's not get involved, let's not engage. Well, if you take away the salt, then what is left? over time is nothing but rot and decay. That's what we're facing. You take away the light, what is left? There's nothing but darkness. And, and here we're like sur surprised by the darkness, surprised by the rot, the decay of morality, of just a decency in how we treat each other, even though we don't always see eye to eye, don't always agree on things. We, we've lost that in our society but then we still have people who want the church to sit on the sideline and remain uh, silent and be quiet about all these things. That's why we're in the shape we're in. God wants the church to rise up again and to speak up. Literally, this is the word, scala, to rise up. To say, listen, we're going to cast down these imaginations and we're going to challenge them. We're going to advocate for and advance the truth of God's word. We're going to prepare and train another generation. If the foundations be destroyed, then what can the righteous do? Well, it's our job in our day to lay those foundations of truth and faith all over again. That's why God put us here. That's what God wants us to do with this generation of young people and even be equipped ourselves as adults to not be threatened, to not be intimidated, to not think, well, I don't have an answer. 
were in Washington, D.C. this week, and I thought it was amazing. A lady and her husband from the Lindsay Media Group was there, and she was talking about they used to own all the rights to Pepsi-Cola in the state of California. And so think of that. They sold that a while back, and now they spend their days training people how to engage this culture with the truth of God's word, in particularly with media, how to be on interviews, how to make yourself available for interviews, how to prepare for that. She said you can speak about 2.5 words per second. So you've got to measure your words out. You've got to write them out according to the time. I thought, I didn't realize people were this technical, this prepared. I told Rebecca, I said, I love it. Being ready for interviews, ready to speak. The Bible says be ready always to speak a word in season to those who need to hear the truth and do it with a right heart, with meekness and fear, reverence for God. But be ready to speak the word of God. Are we ready? Are we prepared? Are we just going to be on the defense? Are we just going to keep backing up? Are we going to keep saying it's all gone, it's all lost anyway? Or are we going to start standing again? Every generation has this challenge. Remember, they said, well, we were given a republic if we could keep it, right? By default, human nature is not given to freedom. That's why it must be labored for and secured in every generation. I thought it was interesting. They talked this week about the lemon test. Any of you ever heard about the lemon test? The United States Supreme Court is what they would use to try to qualify or define the establishment cause and make sure that the government was not establishing religion anywhere and so with that lemon test they did away with a lot of nativity scenes with the Ten Commandments in schools they did away uh, with so many other things Christmas songs in public schools Uh, they banned crosses even in public cemeteries so many things were banned for so long and many people would not be aware of that but our Supreme Court just a little while back 2019 decided to lay that test aside and they adapted this philosophy that if anything has been there for a long time and been publicly established and accepted that will not be viewed as the same as the government establishing a religion or giving preferable treatment to a particular one and so you know what's going on now there's over 2700 cases that are going to be retried by those who love our country And they're going to get crosses put back in cemeteries. They're going to get Ten Commandments put back. They're going to get nativity scenes put back. Can you imagine all that? See, we're scaling the walls of the city of those who think, well, we can be secular and leave God out and leave religious liberty and freedoms out and even try to shut that out in our country. And I'll tell you, there are those who are saying, but that's not so, that's not true, that's not legal even. And they're taking that challenge. And I say, Praise God for it, don't you? We've got to be on the offense, don't cower. This is a wonderful time to be alive. This is a wonderful time to be a voice for God, to be a shining light, to stand up and to speak up with courage, with confidence, to do what is right and advance the gospel. May God in heaven help us to be 
on the offense. Number one, by considering the house of the wicked. That's how we rise to the challenges of life. Number two, by scaling the city of the mighty. And then number three, by preparing for the day of battle. Notice this in verse 30. There is no wisdom nor understanding nor counsel against the Lord. The horse is prepared against the day of battle, but safety is of the Lord. Prepared means to set up erect, fitted, fixed, and firm, to put things in place. It has a thought of readiness. We're ready. The horse is prepared against the day of battle, but safety is of the Lord. We do our part. We do all that we can, and then we trust God to do what we cannot. That's really what he's saying here. Do your part, get ready, but ultimately, God is in control. God is able. And there may be times when you realize how insufficient you are. Think of this, the war horse as well as chariots represented the best in military technology in these times. Yet human resources, one writer said, are not conclusive in determining the outcome of warfare. No success is possible, possible apart from God's will. Victory belongs to the Lord. There is nothing we can do ultimately without His wisdom, His might. And God wants us to learn how to look to Him and lean on Him as we do our part. Not naively, being caught unawares, or off guard, not with proper consideration, insight, and understanding to the challenges before us, the strengths and weaknesses of the enemy of truth, those who have said, I'm going to reject God and I'm going to oppose all of those aggressively even who embrace God. Well, don't be caught off guard by being on the offense. God wants us to be on the offense if you're not going to be caught off guard, then you're going to be not only aware, but you're going to be ready to advance the truth instead. God wants us to rise to the challenges of life by knowing our enemy, acting with courage, and being ready to engage. That's what God wants us to do. We were there in Washington, D.C. DJ and I got to go together and be a part of this special meeting. And uh, this made the news media when we were there Tuesday evening singing in the Capitol Rotunda, Amazing Grace. And oh, what a time it was. If you've never been in there, you need to visit the nation's capital. I mean, this, this dome is so high, you could get the Statue of Liberty inside of it and still have 30 feet to spare. It's shocking how big and vast it is and how beautiful it is. But it also has these pictures around it and uh, these different pictures that talk about the revolutionary time, the founding of our nation, and things like that. We also sung How Great Thou Art. DJ posted a video uh, on social media as well, and at this point this morning, it's approaching 250,000 views with so many positive responses. I believe that there's a generation who's hungry for truth, the hungry for someone to just stand up and speak up. We don't have to be belligerent. We don't have to be uh, demeaning. We don't have to be disrespectful. We will love all people. We regard all people. Jesus died for all people. That's the heart of God toward us all. Isn't that right? The ground is level at the foot of the cross. No man stands higher than I, and I don't stand any higher than anyone else. 
I think about that. What a time that was. And being reminded, do you know that in the early days that church services were held in our nation's capital every Lord's Day? President Eisenhower, when he came in, felt like our country was drifting down the path of secularism too much, and so he put a chapel in. He ordered a chapel to be built right there as a part of the Capitol building. I didn't even know that the first Supreme Court held their sessions there in that building. There was a place off to the side for that. So many things you can learn and discover about the founding of our country. But I thought this was great. There's a picture hanging there, a painting of the surrender of Lord Cornwallis by John Trumbull. It's on display in the rotunda of the U.S. Capitol. The subject of this painting is the surrender of the British Army at Yorktown, Virginia, in 1781, which ended the last major campaign of the Revolutionary War. And what you don't realize is this, is here is just volunteer army, basically, going against the mighty empire of Great Britain. How did it happen? 1,400 official prayer proclamations were given by the Continental Congress. Think of that. Prior to 1815, 1,400 official prayer proclamations. They declared their dependence upon God. John Adams said, It appears to me that the eternal God was working on our behalf against the British government. Providence seemed to smile on every endeavor of this enterprise. George Washington's letters contain some 250 references, references to the providence of God. Pastors had the highest death rate in the revolution. The British would not accept a surrender by a pastor. They would only give them the death penalty because of the threat they were because of their leadership in their local community. They would kill the pastor and destroy the church. Some 40% of pastors died during the revolution. Think of that. Again, where are our pastors, you see? Pastors led the way. You see all the statues there on Capitol Hill. One-fourth of those, 25%, are pastors, preachers of the gospel. Now, 25% of the population of America in those days was not, were not pastors. So you see how pastors were engaged. They were involved. I thought it was interesting here. George Washington fought in 17 wars or battles in the American Revolutionary War. He won six of them. The Americans won their independence because they didn't quit. They kept showing up on the battlefield. You know, sometimes you lose a battle here or there, but you've got to live to fight another day so you can ultimately prevail and win the war. And that's where some of us are today. You're losing a battle in your life, in your family, in some other area of life, and you're about to lose heart. Don't lose heart. Take heart this morning. Take hold of the promise of God. God has a future for you, for your family. God has a future for our church, for our nation. Oh, when you think about it, another writer said, throughout the Revolutionary War, Americans were continually losing battles. In one particular battle, American, an American commander of our forces came to his drummer boy and said, Drummer boy, beat a retreat. Beat a retreat. The American drummer boy said to his commander, Sir, I don't know how. I was, and he beat a lively charge. That day, the Americans won the battle. It's not time to retreat. 
it's time to charge. You agree with that? It's time to be prepared. It's time to be on the offense. It's time to rise up. It's time to know the stakes and to know the challenge that is before us. It's time to act in faith and in courage and to do our part, to act in wisdom, to do everything that we can and then trust the God of heaven to do what we cannot. May the Lord help us today as a local church to not be on the defense but the offense, not in retreat but in charge mode. God help us to march forth in his name, a church aflame, telling everyone everywhere they need to be saved by the grace of God. And those who know the Lord need to worship and serve God and grow in grace and do his will. I've lost many battles along the way. But somehow this morning, God let me enter this pulpit once again. There's a war still raging. But I'll tell you, it is my job and your job to serve our generation by the will of God. And you think, well, everything was settled back then, everything was easier, and it's just too difficult now. We've not resisted under blood. Generations before us had to go and give their lives so we could be free. You understand? We are a nation with flaws because we're made up of people with flaws. Isn't that right? All have sinned. You're a sinner. I'm a sinner. But we're striving toward a more perfect union. If we do something wrong, the spirit of truth says this is what you got to do to deal with it and write this thing and get it back in line. That's the heart that I want to have. And that's the heart God wants us all to have. Lord, use me. Help me to be prepared for whatever challenge comes my way. Help me not to be gullible. Help me not to be naive. Help me not to cower, but give me courage. Give me conviction, Lord, and give me compassion. Help me to love you and others enough that I'm willing to bear what I must bear to advance the truth of the gospel because it's only the truth that sets people free. Thank you for listening to The Shining Light. We pray that this time has been a time of encouragement and blessing to you. The Shining Light is a production of Shining Light Baptist Church located at 2541 Old Charlotte Highway in Monroe, North Carolina. If you don't have a church home, we invite you to join us. Service times and more information can be found at our website, www.shininglightmonroe.com. You can also watch our services on Facebook and YouTube and connect with us on social media. Thank you for joining us, and God bless.